We'd like to thank Visit Park City for sponsoring this episode. Now let's travel back, back to a time in the 1800s. Utah was settled by Mormon pioneers, and there was one city in Utah founded as a silver mining town, attracting prospectors from all over the world seeking their fortunes. Main Street Park City has always been Utah's rowdiest location with live music, saloons, restaurants, and shops. That's what makes Park City such a natural location for the apres scene. This was only heightened when the town hosted the Olympic Games in 2002, and they are excited to be celebrating the 20th anniversary of those games during the Winter Olympics taking place in February 2022 in Beijing. From Wasatch Brew Pub, which received the state's first beer pub license, to uber-popular High West Whiskey Saloon, to the Alpine Distilling Pie Bar, Old Town Cellar's unique white and red blends, and the Bloody Mary Bar at the Eating Establishment. Plus, you've got old fashions you can make your own at the Hearth and Hill. The list goes on. Park City has a veritable libations trail that is genuine tribute to the town's founding and its tradition of hosting a party of global proportions. Whew. Definitely consider visiting Park City for your next winter getaway. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Opera. I'm Rich Stoner. And I'm Hallie O'Brien. And this is the show where we sit down and stir it up with Opera Ski's booziest business owners, brewers, distillers, and just good old fun people. That's right. How you doing, Rich? I am just peaches. Peaches? Lovely. That's right. And, uh, I mean... I don't know how I build on peaches, but the, the two the two gentlemen that we had on today were, were fantastic. <laughs> I don't think we'd nickname them peaches. No, thank God. No. No. Um, weird. Yeah, we had on uh, Christian and yep. Rich. Another From, another Rich. Yeah, another Rich. We're very rich in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> if only I were in life. And fruitful, apparently. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> peaches. Apparently. Yeah, from uh, we had Christian and Rich from Common Roots Brewing Company. Yep, uh, <laughs> South Glens Falls, New York, just in the Adirondack region, and kind of a, a hub for Northeast skiing. And they are not only are they big skiers, but the but the brewery Common Roots Brewing is a fantastic, fantastic brewery that is really close to West Mountain, not too far from Gore. And just, they're just brewing great beers and doing great things. Mm-hmm. Yep. You guys are going to love this chat, so crack open a cold one and enjoy. Are we, are we rolling? Yep. We are rolling. Well, since you have a gondola session in your hand, should we start with that? Let's yeah. just start yeah. talking about gondola, yeah. And I guess we, um, we, we <laughs> kind of have to get on with our day. Can't crush four beers necessarily. Um, so we can walk through some tasting notes with some of the other beers that I sent you, Rich, but we might only crack a can of gondola and kind of go from there today, but we'll see what happens. Right. Sounds good. And you guys have the freshest well, gondola, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Do you want to give me the other? Yeah. Yep. Here you go. All right. Hold on. We like to do this right in front of the microphone. <laughs> oh yeah. You need the sound effects. So I am a huge fan of this beer. I drank many. Ooh, look of, at that. I, I drank many of them. Uh, last year when I was up skiing with you, yep, a few mm. in the gondola. It, it works, you know. We'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it under wraps. Yeah. So. It tastes better yeah. there. So mm-hmm. uh, all right, so let's let's talk about a, a big fan. Oh well, we should probably welcome you guys first. So yes, pick <laughs> it off proper. <laughs> Excited. Um, so we, we would like to welcome welcome uh, Christian Weber. Uh, you were co-founder of Common Roots, correct? Yep, my father and I. Yep. And then Rich Wilson. Rich, what is your exact title? Like marketing director? Uh, director of retail operations is what my business card says. Um, so yeah, I try to find new hats to wear every day and fit them on my head. Well, I like the one that you're wearing right now. I might have to. I might have to drive up and, and catch one of those. <laughs> Available in blue right now. So. Ooh, Ooh all a right, little plug, all right. a little merch plug. All I like right, it. There we go. Very good. <laughs> He's all over it. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, why don't you guys? So gondola session, obviously highly appropriate for for a ski themed beer. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about it? Where did it come from? You know, what, what's the, the origins behind the name? Well, I drink it. Well, sure. I drink it yeah. well Hey, cheers guys. I think we're yeah, cheers. Cheers. You got there. joining us today. As well? mm-hmm. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I think we've all had some gondola sessions before, right? <laughs> uh, so I think pun intended the, the name was kind of self-explanatory. We know we're, I personally made most of my life decisions based around skiing um, from where I went to school, graduate school, employment. I like, I like him already. Did, you know, a lot of people who work at Common Roots kind of have the same uh, work-life balance kind of thing going on. I like what you did there, Hal. I love it. 
so we, we definitely need to have a beer and, you know, um, definitely, you know, wanted to have something that was kind of representative of our, of our kind of ethos and things that were important to us. And we actually have a gondola. We have one of the probably last Gore Mountain original gondolas that's in our beer garden. So it, it became kind of like maybe embarrassingly obvious that we need to have a beer that had some sort of gondola in the title. And then, you know, we use that word pretty loosely, sometimes gondola session. So um, having a session IPA that was called gondola session kind of, uh, kind of worked. Beautiful. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And look at that hazy for, for Gorgeous. those of you, the, the gondola, these, these gondolas, the, these Gore mountain gondolas, they're these old red solid metal gondolas that it, well, if you go up to the Adirondacks, which is where y'all are, are at, they're, they're like kind of these, um, what's the word landmarks all over the place. Like it's like, Oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. And you guys happen to have one. I actually saw one on Instagram out in, in Utah. Wow. So they, it's, it, it, these things have made themselves present all over the country. And now, and then you have the beer that's named after or because of this beer, this gondola. <laughs> it's, I think there's a map, right, Rich? I think there's a map that we should probably get on. For all oh, where you can find gondolas. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. Am, am I right? They are, well, yeah. And like anybody who grew up skiing at Gore has uh, memories of a gondola session in those gondolas that was like kind of harrowing. Like those things, <laughs> they swung a lot. They would jam yeah. people into them. Um, so thankfully that infrastructure has been upgraded. At Gore. Yeah, I mean, the people in Vermont are probably thinking gondola session a little bit different, right? Yeah. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are, you more know, like a gondola session. Oh, yep. <laughs> the Vermonters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that gondola that's it's in our beer garden to your point, Rich, too. Like you see it on Instagram, it is something that people like to get inside, snag yeah. a photo. It's it's just a beautiful piece for us to have. Um, and you know, to your point, when they made that switch over, a lot of local businesses did try to get one for nostalgia reasons. So, yeah, as you drive to Gore, you'll see one like hung outside an Airbnb or something of the like, right? So, right, mm-hmm. but it's uh arguably a, a little cultural uh, placeholder for those of us who have been living and playing in the Adirondacks for an extended period of time. So what I love about this beer is that it, it like you mentioned earlier, Christian, it, it is, is highly sessionable. You know, the, 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 the mouth feels a little bit lighter. The mouth feel is a little bit lighter. It's got this like kind of orange, orange ish, uh, you know, I don't want to say tint. That's probably not the right word, but like a little taste of orange to it but like still very, very, very drinkable, very drinkable beer. And that's, that's what I really like about it. It's Cause it's got some flavor, but it's got that drinkability that you want when it comes to, well, if you're drinking on a gondola or if you're drinking apres ski. Right. And it's 5.2%. So, you know, yeah. going right back to the sessionable situation that you have there. Yeah. I, I really, I've, I've drank my fair share of these. <laughs> You've made <laughs> well, that's it. Good. It was definitely a beer you know, built for that. And I appreciate, it. I think especially, this batch that just came off the line has a lot, a lot of big, like citrusy kind of almost like Clementine notes that are popping through. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It's like, it was meant to be sessioned a little bit. And, you know, if I'm skiing, I sometimes do like cracking a beer depending on the day, maybe even earlier. And I don't necessarily want to have it kill my whole day uh, and end up just in the lodge, you know, or in the parking yeah. lot. So definitely having a beer that was still, Not that there's anything wrong with that. Sometimes you have those days, right? On the mountain, right? And that's sometimes that's it's an upray all day kind of day. Definitely that's, a beer that could be that's could have a couple throughout the day. Right. It's not gonna kill you, you know? Yeah. So why not um so tell me a little bit about your backstory. Uh me personally. Um so I grew up in the Adirondacks. Um I grew up in Lake George, went to school in New Hampshire and stayed there for graduate school. And that's kind of where I started. Um, getting into brewing. I worked at various breweries and homebrewed um, and then made my way back to New York, left the beer industry and was the executive director of the Lake Placid Land Conservancy. Um, kind of left the beer world for a bit. Um, and then after doing that for three or four years, realized I wanted to get back into beer. Um, and my father, who had just retired from teaching, was kind of looking for his kind of second career and was working part-time for Cornell Cooperative Extension and just needing maybe something else. And I was kind of searching for a business partner as I just landed this building and kind of was ready to kind of start growing this company, uh, but needed some support um, from another person. You know, I couldn't do everything ourselves. 
And uh, yeah, my, it was like a perfect arrangement. My dad was looking for something else and I was, and I was searching for, for him really. Um, See, there's help. There's hope for me, Hallie. There you go. His dad is a retired teacher turned brewer and I am still teaching. So there's, there's hope. The writing for me. is on the wall or on the yeah. chalkboard in this case. Yeah, there's right. It's on the whiteboard. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and Rich, how did you, you know, I know, I know we've, we've actually spent the day skiing, but, but I don't know that I know how you ended up with common roots. Yeah. Um, so uh, Common Roots is actually celebrating its seven-year anniversary on Sunday, the 19th of December. Um, and so dial back the clock seven years ago. And in my life, I am uh, managing a big multi-venue beer bar, gastro pub down in the city of Albany. And um, which one? Am, uh, the City Beer Hall, which okay. just uh, just reopened after its long COVID hiatus. So wow. uh, anybody out there in the up. world, go give my City Beer Hall family some love next time you're in Albany. They're right next to the Times Union Center okay. um, or center formerly known as the Times Union Center. I know that sponsorship just changed um, either way. So um, I'm doing all the beer buying and alcohol buying for that establishment and uh, learn about a new brewery that's opening up in South Glens Falls. Um, you know, we're talking 2014. So hazy IPA is kind of starting to emerge under the market. Sour is becoming a vogue thing. And it turns out that this father-son brewery is making really great happy beer and jumping right into making really cool sour beer. Um, I was doing plenty of skiing in Southern Vermont and in the Adirondacks while living in Albany and South Glens Falls, where we are located is a really nice way to break up that drive. And if you can stop for a beer on as part of your opera day, I was always keen to do so. Um, so Christian and I kind of got to know one another in that professional capacity while I was working there. Um, and then I bounced around, um, did some things in Colorado um, and was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to come on board with Common Roots in June of 2019, um, which was uh, kind of a bittersweet opportune time. Um, a big part of our company's history and trajectory um, was kind of interrupted by a massive structure fire that actually destroyed the original brewery that right. yeah i want to talk about that at mm -hmm. some point sure. um so i kind of came on to be part of the team following that so that we could build towards the beautiful new facility that we are fortunate to call home that rich you and, and, and it is it is beautiful it's uh, it's one of the nicest breweries i've ever i've ever been in, in it's 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 nice if you're ever in south glens falls people or even if you're not get the hell up there <laughs> couldn't agree more yeah. um so yeah, that, so that's my trajectory. And, uh, you know, again, uh, shared love for good beer as well as good active outdoor lifestyle uh, made it a good fit for me. And Christian nice. and I have spent plenty of times on chairlift talking business strategy. You know, that's a good thing. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> hey, hey, Christian, I actually have a question for you too. Uh, did sure. I hear your father either lived in or grew up in Kenilworth, New Jersey? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so here's a funny tie-in. My father grew up in Kenilworth, New Jersey. You guys are brothers, and uh, yeah, we're related. Oh my god, uh, you're not a stoner, <laughs> just an odd connection. But like, dad, like, what's it work? What's it like working with your dad? Like, because I know as an as an Italian kid, like me working with my father was always like, you know, I'd start to do something, and he'd be like, "Oh, you're, you're doing it wrong. If you're gonna do it that way, just get out of here. I'll do it myself." So what? Like, what's like, what's it work like working? <laughs> Are you, are you, do you need a hug? Actually, this is not the first time I, I've been on a podcast where it almost becomes this like therapy session. I'm like, I'm, 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 almost, I'm all like, you know, I need to take a nap like, after it. He never called me. He, so they, my family called me TJ for whatever odd reason I have. There's, there's no connection whatsoever, <laughs> but he only called me Richard when I was doing the work incorrectly. Okay. So it was Richard, Richard, if you're going to do it like that, just go in the house. Okay, dad. All right. I guess I'm going in the house today. Yeah. So I never, hey, by the way, it's TJ dad, right? Not <laughs> I never learned anything grown up. Never learned anything. <laughs> What's it like working with your dad? Oh, you know, it's, it is the most rewarding thing you can do. And, you know, I should say my mother also works there. She, you know, my father and I give all the credit for being, you know, the co-founders and owners, but uh, my mom is, is also part of that group as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's the most rewarding thing to have an adult relationship with your parents in a different setting than just, you know, being their, their kid. And it's something that, you know, yeah, certainly like family businesses have 
another element of stress because you also love and care about them. Right. And you, know, you get more offended by things You're like, why didn't you think that way? You know, so I would say like, you know, we, my father and I definitely had, you know, we bought the building February 6, 2014. We did all the renovations ourselves, you know, had to get gutted and everything. Um, we opened uh, December 19, 2014. So it was 10 months and we probably took four days off, you know, um, in that time period frame. And it was just balls to the wall. And then of course, when you get open, you know, we're just, oh, we just got to get this thing open. It's got to get this thing open. And then of course you open, you realize now you actually have to freaking do it. You know, you have to start running the business, you know, you have to brew, you have to, or bartending or doing sales and running out meeting people like Rich, you know, and, and then going back to mash in the morning and, you know, everything else. Um, you know, there is definitely some high stress moments of us and him and I still trying to find our working relationship, you know, and, and understanding stuff. But, you know, I would say that, you know, we found that very quickly. And, you know, I had a really great relationship with my father um, and mother, um, you know, prior to doing this. And I don't know if he would have went into it if he wasn't someone who I wanted to go skiing with anyway, and someone who I wanted to go and, you know, have beers and just, you know, spend time with. So for me, you know, it's always, it's certainly definitely a, um, you know, it's an honor to get to do that. And it's like, it's certainly a privilege because I have two younger sisters who I'm sure have some, you know, you know, in a weird way, even a sense of like jealousy that I get to have this additional experience with my, our folks that they don't necessarily get to have. And, um, you know, my wife comes from a big family business and, you know, I definitely, you know, I know a lot of people who are involved with family business and stuff and yeah, sometimes that they're not always the same. So I think we're really lucky and fortunate to have kind of figured out our roles and responsibilities and, and also just kind of found our, you know, how to, how to have a successful working relationship and still keep our, you know, still keep our personal relationship, you know, a positive one too. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. So, so the brewery opened in, in 2014, you guys mentioned the major structural fire. Yeah. It opened in 2014, five years later, it burned to the ground. What was that like? I mean, it must've been helpful to have your, your, your family, you know, there to help you get through everything. Yeah. Walk us through that one. Yeah. So, you know, we were very lucky, uh, you know, when we opened, we, we had, you know, we got a lot of local attention, you know, we also got some national attention. We had to cover a beer advocate magazine, New York times wrote an article about us. There are a lot of things that are just dumb luck. You know, you really can't, that's just lucky to get those kind of things. Um, and, but, you know, it allowed for us to continue to just reinvest and, you know, we needed more tanks. We needed more, we needed a canning line. We need all these things. We kind of grew the company. We acquired properties next to us and, you know, we were in plans to do uh, start this kind of two phase expansion plan. One was to kind of beef up our tap room to add a food component and just, you know, add more seating because it was a, a pretty small tap room. And then the phase two was the property we had acquired. We were going to be kind of demoing the things that were on it and putting on more brewery space. And um, we were the, the fire happened on a Monday and I had spent that previous, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I was in Indiana at Uplandsbury doing like a sour beer festival. So I was working late in the tap room um, that night, which, you know, sometimes I don't want to be there past a certain time. And that was not the case that night. So I was working late. We had a single brewer doing like a cleaning on the brew house. And I was, my office was literally right above the brew house. And um, we had, we had a basically a boiler um, vent pipe malfunction where right. it actually broke in the chase, which ironically went right behind my office um, which, and thank God it did because I was the first, I was in the fires. So that was good that I could, you know, I was the first to know about it. It wasn't something that was like happening on another wing. And that's a glass half full attitude. I was in the fires. That was <laughs> well, it, was, it was something that like, you know, I kept, uh, I kept that going for him. <laughs> yes. That was, that was a good thing. Uh, I, I started smelling things that didn't, you know, as soon as you smell something different in the brewery, you know, it's something that you usually need to be kind of go and check out. So kind of walking around, but again, nothing seemed abnormal. Go downstairs, tap rooms bumping. We were doing like trivia night. It was like standing room only. So I go back to my office and you know, when you're sitting outside by a fire and you hear like the crackle, it's like mm. that iconic sound. And I heard that and like everything in me knew what was happening. And I turned around and there was like black smoke coming like right through the sheetrock. And, um, so I like ran down to the tap room, basically the bartender looked at me and I'm sure I looked like fucking panicked, you know, and he was, uh, he was, I'm like, there's a fire. You need to get run out. Um, I went down to the brew house and I like uh, took a hose, but that's like, you know, after about like five seconds of doing that, realizing that, that was not going to do anything. I decided, which was so pseudo smart at the time, which was just again, luck. I started moving shit out of the brewery. 
um, which we had a collab with like KCBC, which is actually a tank that wheels and I like wheeled it back and took the fork truck outside and was like pulling things. And I don't know how long I did that for before a firefighter like came and was like, Hey, you need to, you need to leave. One of the things you pulled out was the gondola. Correct. I don't, I don't know if I pulled it out or if it was just unaffected because the back warehouse where our larger 60 barrel tanks and packaging line was, and some of our barrels were, was, was like largely unaffected. Oh, okay. Um, and, and that might've been back there. And I think it was on top of a cooler. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was, you know, it was, there was part of the brewery that got, you know, two thirds of the brewery got pretty much destroyed and the other third, um, which had a lot of big stuff in it didn't. Um, in fact, we still have three of those tanks, uh, our three of our 260 barrel fermenters and a 60 bright tank. Um, are, are still in the, in the brewery. Dang, jumped into action. Seriously. Saved, saved some beer too. It saves it, but we were very lucky. Everyone got out. Uh, the first responders, you know, arrived very quickly um, and did a great job, you know, doing their best to manage a fire. No one was hurt. And really that's all that kind of matters. You know what I mean? And I think right, like right. really the story of the fire picks up after the fire happened because, mm-hmm. You know, the fire was happening and, you know, it was sad and it was, you know, you watched everything you had just done kind of burn in front of you, but it was the aftermath of, you know, our company coming together, the community coming together and just creating this just really just very humbling experience to be a part of, um, you know, kind of unfold in front of you. And a lot of times you don't really see that unless like, you know, maybe when someone passes away and unfortunately you're not there to even see it happen. So to, to see this amount of community effort. We had breweries from California that called us, Hey, what can we do? And there awesome. were all these festivals and we, we raised like over $70,000 for our staff. Um, and it was just, you know, it was incredible, the generosity of just the world. And that was really where I feel like is the story of the fire. The fire happened and it was sad, um, but it's not who common roots is, right? You can, we were in, we've been in three spaces since then, you know, or two other spaces since then. And, you know, I don't want to be, you know, too literal, but like you could burn us down again. And Common Roots as a, as a company is always still going to be here because it's a group of people who've kind of come together and have this similar ethos and have decided to do things. And it's, and because of that, it, the structure, the physical property here doesn't really matter. Well, um, it's a unique part of your backstory that, that has, um, you know, innate, like, it, like that has kind of put forth this path towards perseverance, right? Sure. You know, it's really funny. I did a, I did a uh, podcast maybe a year ago with a, a group from the West coast and um, it was very late. So I remember the West coast cause I was on their time and it was live. <laughs> and um, so there was like a pre-interview that I did the day before and going through and we were talking and I'm like, yeah, if you want, we can talk about the fire then blah, blah. So anyway, the guy's reading it as he's like, he must not have even looked at the pre-interview until like we were already live and, or maybe like two minutes before we were live, he looked at it and he goes, okay, okay. He brewed here. Blah, 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 blah. And then he was like, and then the fire, he's like, what the fuck? I never didn't know about the fire. So he literally, he's doing the intro and he goes, and I got to tell you, I'm reading this pre-interview and then I see the fire. And then of course I Google like an asshole and realize that the first thing that pops up are all these terrible images of the brewery on fire and i had no idea and i was like oh man that's why i thought i was on this anyway oh my god (laughs) way way to do your research buddy (laughs) but it ended up being a a funny a funny story hey so rich were you there were you there pre-fire like were you did you experience this or did you come in after the fact no i so i was actually living in colorado during the time of the fire but had actually signed a contract as a 1099 like 72 hours prior to the fire to become kind of a a consultant planning on a project that never came to fruition because we ended up refocusing our energies on this rebuild project. Um, But yeah, after like my time at the city beer hall was how uh, my relationship with Christian started. And then I worked for a short time for the distributor in our home territory that manages Common Roots products, um, moved out to Colorado with plans to come back and, and work for Common Roots. And again, it was all within one week or within a period of like four days that I had signed a 1099, started talking about, you know, future point of sale systems and things like that. And then obviously everything changed drastically. Um, that was, the fire was in March 
And I moved back to New York in June of 2019 and kind of just hit the ground running on what the new direction was. Um, so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't privy to that unbelievable bounce of community that Christian just mentioned right. to in terms of even being in New York state. But, you know, as we shared a lot of the same social media world and a lot of friend contacts from just being in the beer industry, it was like I was here because it affected everyone in all of our lives. It was just such a, a tangible thing. And then coming back to it, I mean, I guess I was the first new hire after the fire. And to Christian's point, it was just like an absorbed, I got absorbed into this unbelievable community built around this this brewery and the product that we put out there. And again, as Christian said, it's so much more than than the place where we're sitting right now. And that was right. so palpable to me day one. Um, so yeah, well, I, was, I was going to ask you how you, how you come back from something like that, but it sounds like the community outreach is, is how you come back from something like that. Like the, the, what, whatever you've done to create that aspect of, of community, uh, has, has really kind of cast you forward into this new brewery and this, and, and, you know, what you're doing these, you know, currently. Well, no, I, I appreciate that. I think it's, you know, we were, you know, we were a well-insured brewery um, and that's not something, but like the insurance isn't for, for everything. Right. And, right. you know, I remember like, I remember looking at the fire and like thinking like it was still on fire and I'm thinking about, we have like, what the heck am I supposed to do now? You know, like all these people that work for us, you know, we had grown quite a bit and now we, we provide health insurance for their, some of their entire families. And I'm like, I don't, awesome. even know, like I don't even know what to do now. You know, I'm watching this, like everything burn. And, you know, we ended up having a staff meeting maybe 36 hours after the fire. I mean, I think I did a full day of just bullshit, you know, stuff you got to do for insurance and investigators and things. But um, the next day we had like breakfast at my parents' house and I, uh, I, I, you know, gave a little talk to everyone. I said, don't worry, we're going to keep paying everyone. We're going to keep, you know, health insurance. Don't, don't worry about anything. It's all going to be okay. Wow. Um, and then I called my, you know, my lawyer called me. He's like, Hey, you got to come back to this thing. I was like, all right, Matt, you know, uh, I just had a good staff meeting. I told everyone to keep paying them. He's like, wait, you told him what? Like, we don't know. Like, I don't have, we don't have the money for that. Like the insurance. And like, I'm like, Matt, it doesn't matter. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have to find a way to do it. So, um, and, you know, we ended up setting up a temporary brewery, which was like kind of helpful. And we lined up single cut and two roads and, uh, torch and crown to cover our, distribution, you know, we, we distribute to like 10 states. So it was, we didn't want to necessarily have too big of a gap between our burning and, and whatnot. So, you know, there was some short-term stuff, but you know, the, the amount of community support really went directly to people. And that's the thing about it because it was able to keep like, we had a, I mean, just for, I mean, I don't need to go through every single scenario, but you know, we had six production people that were working and they were brewing a now on a piece of equipment that was like, needed maybe a half a person, you know what I mean? So you have six guys kind of standing around scratching and we're like, no, it doesn't matter. We, it's important for you guys. You're all part of our kind of greater family here. And, and that's the kind of stuff. So, you know, we ended up launching a foundation and it's a 501c3. It's called the Common Roots Foundation. And it was something my father and I from day one, we wanted to do. And it was, you know, I remember going around when we we're kind of in planning and, and going to breweries like, you know, Maine Beer Company and, you know, knowing how much they give back and just being a, you know, to have that sense of corporate responsibility of making sure that your, you know, stewardship, whether it's community stewardship, environmental stewardship, you know, that's just as important to, you know, to, uh, to our business plan. So it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty excited. It's much too excited about all the new stuff we're doing at the brewery and foundation, something that we're just excited about. Well, tell, tell us some of the new things that you're doing at the brewery. Like what, like I was looking through your website, uh, you guys have a wide array of beers. I mean, I, hazy IPAs, session IPAs, stouts, double stouts, lagers, sours. I mean, you, you guys run the gamut. So, like, was that always part of the plan? Like, how, how do you how do you how do you have such a wide array? I think we, it was always part of the plan. I mean, we, like I said, we opened with like a sour beer, and I don't think we even came out with like an actual like full on like IPA for for quite a bit. We had like a, a hoppy pale. You know, we and were you doing guys stuff. Some good IPAs too, which is interesting. So that's interesting. We do quite a bit, uh, but like we wanted, you know, we ran a cool ship from from day one, and that was something to have a, a strong wild beer program to to do a lot of mixed culture fermentation. That was something that was really important to us. Um, we really want to have a lot of approachable 
beers. We're going to have a portfolio that's very approachable too. So whether you're a wine drinker or you're like a hazy IPA drinker or whatnot, we want to have something that's, that's interesting for you. And as well as maybe help kind of bring you through our whole entire portfolio. So do you get that, that uh, approachability concept from your, your father, like spent some time in Germany, correct? Like, and then obviously German beers have a similar approachability drinkability to them. Does that, is that, a, is that a coincidence or is that on purpose? No, I think that's very like purposeful in a sense that like my father, yeah, he's from Germany. He's the only sibling born in the country, actually. So, you know, when we say like, you know, in our roots, it's like, yeah, the beer is an important part of our, our family's culture. And yeah, like we, it's a reason why we have, you know, the, the lager profiles that we have and, and some of the different, you know, beers we do, but yeah, the, the session ability, that's a real thing. Like, yeah, I don't want to just have one big IPA and, and be done for the night. You know what I mean? I want to be able to have a couple and have it be a long night of, right. of conversation. Yeah. You don't want to get on the, on the gondola and then get off of it with a coma. That's, <laughs> it. <laughs> That's not a good situation. No. <laughs> this would be a good time to, to taste another beer as we get into uh, praying for some snow and, and actually, uh, you know, There's talking about skiing. Coming our way. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the question is, how much do you want it to taste like a liquefied Mounds bar? Because that snowy Mounds with the addition of coconut um, really pushes that into a kind of. I know Hallie's a big fan of of coconut stout, so Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. go I'd say snowy Mounds is the play then. Snowy Mounds for sure. Let's do it. Snowy Mounds. Snowy Mounds, and and not to mention the fact that I've had the snowy night, but I have not had the snowy Mounds yet. Oh, beautiful! Perfect. Yeah. Time for a quick intermission. We'd like to thank Flylo for sponsoring this podcast. If you're searching for dependable ski and snowboard apparel that looks good in any situation, Flylo has you covered. The independent, homegrown, mountain-raised brand knows how unforgiving and fun the mountains can be, and it builds gear to match. With Flylo gear keeping you comfortable on the mountain, taking another lap up the Skinner, or catching the first and last chair of the day is an easy decision to make. Flylo Gear was started by two friends who couldn't find the gear they needed for skiing day in and day out, so they decided to make it themselves. Built for skiers, by skiers, and employing the latest technical apparel technologies, a jacket, pant, or bib from Flylo will deliver season after season without letting you down. Flylo's extensive winter line for both men and women delivers premium gear without breaking the bank, and their growing year-round collection includes versatile, trusted apparel for everyday life in the mountains. Find the right piece for you at your local ski retailer or online at flylogear.com. So yeah, and for those out in podcast landia here, Snowy Night and Mounds are a series of double stouts that we make that are uh, big old beautiful milk stouts. So both of those beers, Snowy Night and Snowy Mounds, have lactose and vanilla in them. And then Mounds adds a healthy dose of toasted coconut. Mm. Uh, So, you know, certainly uh, to Rich's point, maybe save this one to a later in the day gondola session. Um, It does come in. This is a nightcap. Yeah, this is Um, night. This is is an appropriate back at the uh, hot tub. The roastiness, like the the roasty chocolatey notes just on the nose is incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely uh, trending into wonderful decadent dessert territory with that beer. Mm. Right yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. You get that the coconut on the back end, chocolate up front. This is wow, spectacular. Did you have to ratchet, you know, the levels of coconut to to chocolate to finally get it where you wanted it to be, or were you? We do. We do a fair amount of bench job testing in our lab before we do stuff, and then a fair amount of roastings. We nice having a commercial kitchen now with like a you know, a nice pizza oven and things like that, that we can use because it does allow for a, a much, um, a much nicer way of roasting coconut than back in the day when we were like, everyone bringing some home and put in your, uh, <laughs> your oven. And although it did smell really nice, that was always good. Yeah. And then you have the people in like, it's like group projects. Everybody's supposed to go home and roast some coconut. And then you have that one person that doesn't I'm like, like damn or, it. or they roast it too much. Like, Oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit skiing. Cause Christian, I, I know you said you made, you've made every life decision based around skiing, Rich. It sounds like you've lived in some spots that have been uh, pretty traditionally, you know, ski location, traditional ski location. So, uh, like Christian, let's start with you. Give me an example of like, what, what, 
life decision have you made based on skiing? I mean, I chose to go to school in New Hampshire because I wanted to ski every day. Um, so I went to Plymouth state university. Um, it's right in the kind of middle of the whites and, you know, home mountains were cannon loon, uh, Waterville, Tenny Mountain was right in our backyard. It was a great one if you wanted to skin up and, and get some some tracks. Most of my tenure at Plymouth State through undergrad and grad school, ten, Tenny wasn't really open, so it was a fun spot to go and and skin up. But um, yeah, so that was that started off, and and I went to school there mainly. Uh, although I did get an education, I didn't start off caring about that, and that was definitely. You know, I, I set up my class schedule and everything was to make sure I could get first tracks. And actually, I've continued that for for life in a lot of ways. Uh, graduate school, I, I made sure that my teaching load and whatnot, where it was, uh, had the ability to get first tracks somewhere. And even when I was living in Lake Placid in the wintertime, I didn't take start office hours until after 10 a.m. So I That's was going to base in the morning. And, uh, you know, Rich lives in that town too. And you can occasionally, uh, you know, get friends at groomers and people like that and, and even get first, first tracks and ski the original kind of, you know, with the ski patrol in the morning when they do their first kind of round. So it's a nice, like little local East coast, you know, ski town and, uh, you know, small town connections and whatnot. So, yeah. Uh, did you have, yeah. um, did you have like a college pass to all of those resorts or did you buy passes to each one? Yeah. So I always made sure I had a pass to Cannon because if I had to pick one mountain thousand percent, it's Cannon without a doubt. Um, and then there was always like the freedom pass or whatever. It was like Loon, Waterville and something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Canyon, sometimes our, our school would also always buy a pass somewhere. So your student ID would get you in. And sometimes it would be like Waterville Valley. Not that I didn't like Waterville Valley, but if push came to shove, I mean, it doesn't even come close to rivaling the back country that Canyon had and, um, and just the vertical terrain that Canyon had. So nice. Canyon was by far just that uh, iconic picture of the guys jumping out of the gondola, right? Uh, cannonball, they have the tram, the tram. They I had mean, like that there's, old there's like guys jumping out of the tram. Right. I, f- I feel like I, 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 maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. I've no, had... that sounds, that sounds, this is know, 8%. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be full of shit. <laughs> and, and, Rich, where did you live in Colorado? Um, so I moved out to Colorado. Uh, my wife got an appointment as faculty at Colorado state university, which is actually in Fort Collins. All right. Good um, beer town. A few breweries in that town, you know, um, <laughs> great town in general, but you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk down on Colorado at all. We had an amazing time there. I got to ski some absolutely fantastic days while I, did you uh, have a favorite? Um, we had icon passes while we were out there. So we spent a lot of days at copper, but, um, anyone who's been to Denver or anything in the front range and tried to make it out to summit County, the traffic on 70 is laughably bad especially when the snow yeah. was good. You're laughing at all um, about that traffic. So it, is a, it was very quickly became apparent to me, my quickest from my front door to boots on uh, was actually going into Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, so I did a lot of backcountry while I was out there. Oh, wow. Uh, very cool. In the park there is unbelievable. Um, you know, you can park within a two-mile skin of like, 2000 foot coolars, you know, so that's pretty wow. rad. That terrain access a- out there is unbelievable. Um, and as, uh, as Rich has alluded to, I'm, uh, f- my mind is free because my heel is free when I ski. Um, so going uphill is, uh, it's always an option for me. Um, is but, that yeah, I mean, into telemarking? Uh, no, I got into telemarking actually after college, uh, or in the area of my life that is generally referred to as college 2.0. Uh, <laughs> I moved to Burlington, Vermont with a band that I was in, in college. We lived in a house, rehearsed, played gigs and skied a lot. Um, Another great time, time. I was making bad decisions. I'm sensing a pattern here with Rich. Right. <laughs> um, I was a, uh, I was a snowboarder actually when I moved to Burlington and I started hanging out with a group of guys who were telemark skiers. Uh, I would be carrying a snowshoe on my backpack, wearing snowshoes or my snowboard on my backpack, wearing snowshoes. They'd get in three laps. I'd get in one. So I was like, all right, guys, just show me the way. Um, and I think the fact that I didn't actually have to unlearn Alpine technique is why I was able to grab telemark. Um, really at the end of the day, telemarking is more like surfing than it is like Alpine skiing, just the nature of the turn. Um, so yeah, I, I transitioned over to Telemark in 2009 and haven't actually put on a snowboard since then. I was going to uh, ask, have you tried the Burton split board? 
because well, I've heard the technology, it's it just basically a game changer. That's the thing that split board tech was so bad for so long. Mm -hmm. It has really come a long way. And at the end of the day, yeah, snowboard boots, way more comfortable. Way better. Modern AT and Telemark boots. That's a real thing. That's an undeniable fact of skiing. Um, however, what I will say, having spent plenty of time in the backcountry, even with folks who have like very sophisticated split board technology at this point, man, that transition still kind of sucks because you got to mm. fully take those splits off. You got to deal with post holing while you put your board back together and then mounting back up onto the board. Um, but, you know, transitioning from up to down with skis is doable, you know, right? Eventually you right, can practice right. and you don't have to take your skis off to get your skins right. off. Um, and that's never an option for the split border. Um, and so, especially when you're in terrain where there's like high consequence, like, oh shit, if you lose half your snowboard and you're 2000 feet up a couloir that you just boot packed up, that is not a fun descent. <laughs> so, um, I, I feel like there is a, a strategic advantage that AT and Telemark affords that has made going back to snowboarding, just not interesting to me. Um, again, I still love going out with snowboarders. Um, and I feel their pain when we're traversing laterally on the mountain, but like, that's the other thing I'll never miss is like on right. resort dealing with a snowboarder and having to skate everywhere and all that stuff, or just the fact that you don't have to sit down to put your shit on before you start going downhill. That's a win, right? Yeah. We're making strides. Yeah. The step-ins are, the the step step are, are yeah. definitely helping. Okay. So Hallie, I am sensing that you are a single planker. Is that I am. correct? I am all indeed. Right. All right. My heels are not free. That is okay. Yet, what I would say is that first yeah. time you guys tell you, oh my gosh, this is the thing I've been missing. Um, yeah, maybe. Cr Christian, are your are your heels free? No, I'm an AT guy. I'm a, yep. Yeah, yeah, you know what they say, and what does randonnée actually mean in French? Uh, no, I don't know what they say. No clue. Can't tell a mark. <laughs> <laughs> No, sorry. I'll stop with the telly humor. Oh, um, well, there's a big, there's a pretty existed. big tribe all up at Gore, right? Gore has a strong local tribe. Um, in general, there's just like a, you know, I, mean, I think a lot of us as lifelong snow enthusiasts on the East Coast, you may hit that plateau with snowboarding or alpine skiing where you're like, man, we just don't have that many good snow days. How do I make this fun still? Well, let me try telly. Um, so I think that you see that a lot at Southern Vermont resorts, as well as, a, you know, Whiteface and Gore here in the Adirondacks. Um, really, I mean, I felt more lonely as a telemark skier when I was living out in Colorado um, than I do in the East Coast, for sure. Hmm. There's definitely quite a few of them up there in the Adirondacks, mm -hmm. for yeah. sure. The Dax. So, yeah, the Dax. So, all right. So, you're there. The Adirondacks, obviously, Gore Mountain, we've spoken about, which you were, let me tell you something. There are, Gore Mountain's freaking awesome, but there are definitely some pretty flat areas like the Cat Track that I feel really bad for snowboarders, for sure. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's, there's uh, Whiteface, which is mm -hmm. amazing. And you guys are how far away from you from from West Mountain? I mean, it's got to be minutes. West Mountain's like, I mean, and that is on my way home, basically. Like you can see it from your patio, your beer garden. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's probably a 10, 15 minute drive from the yeah. brewery. What, what, so I, I, I've never been to West, but like I'm, I'm highly intrigued by it. Talk to us about West Mountain. I'm assuming you guys both ski there, or yeah, it's like uh, you know, it's a very, it's it it uh, it's it satisfies convenience. So they have night skiing um, and, you know, they're, they're definitely the new ownership group that's had it for, you know, 10, maybe less than 10 years now. Um, they've done a great job with, you know, upgrading all the lights, the LED and snowmaking ability. And, you know, they've cut new trails and opened up, you know, some, you know, some seemingly glades and things like that. So they've, they definitely have bigger plans for development to add more terrain, which is good. But the fact that it's so close and, you know, I have an eight month old now, so we'll see how oh. often it happens. Although he is definitely going to be on skis uh, at some like point this winter month. in our backyard. How, but how young is too young to start telly? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know about telly, but yeah, he'll be, <laughs> it'll be, he'll definitely be skiing at some point. If you can stand, he can ski. I feel like so. There you go. But, you know, I would have uh, since you know moving back to this area in the wintertime, I have you know skis and uh, a, a boot bag in my truck. And yeah, if I can go and grab four or five runs on the way home, that's probably going to happen. So nice. that kind of convenience is pretty, pretty awesome. Do they still do the thing where it's like you get uh, 
like a breakfast burrito and, and, and a lift ticket for three hours. Yeah. You were telling me about this. This is right. Is this actually a th- like, that's actually a thing. It's like 20 bucks. You get like a breakfast sandwich, a coffee and a two hour lift ticket. That's amazing. And then what you, and then you, you just drive 10 minutes down the road to common roots and spend the mm-hmm. rest of your day there. Right. Yeah. Done. And you know what? Two hours is actually kind of a lot there to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, unless you, you're like bringing a little kid around, like I'm, I would be okay with a two hour day. That would actually be a longer day for me at West Mountain to tell you the truth. Cause it usually is just on the way home kind of thing. Nice. They're also like the hub for all the local ski teams throughout the Southern Adirondacks and the capital region train there. And so it fills that super important space of getting young people psyched on sliding. Right. It's, on it's one of those, like, it's one of those things where it's like uh, the ski, the ski resorts wouldn't exist about without the ski areas. And that's a ski area that, that is a definitely a feeder to some of the big boys up there. I'm sure. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. They have a very strong. That's a really great point, Rich. I mean, even like, I mean, like Castleton drains there. So there's quite a few universities that are that that train there as well. So it's. Um, so do you do you get do you get people coming from off of West like then and just showing up at the brewery for some beers afterward? I would imagine. Right. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Nice. We're also on that sure. corridor from Albany. If you're going to a resort in the southern Vermont region, Mount Snow, Stratton, Killington. Right. You're getting off 87 at 17N, which is the exit that takes you right past the tap room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we see a lot of traffic from folks coming back south from Whiteface and Gore passing okay. us on 87. And, you know, it's just, it's an easy jug handle off. Um, yeah, no, it is. I've, I've actually made that coming back from Gore. Yep. Uh, that, you know, cause I had to stop and drop, uh, drop off my Roku. Drop, that I didn't drop, drop off his Roku. Oh. I, we, we, we didn't have a friggin' <laughs> yeah, there's a, so we didn't have the, the Super Bowl was on the weekend we were up there and this in the freaking Air, Airbnb that we rented didn't like had a TV, but like didn't play TV. Don't tell me you went to <laughs> didn't fucking actually play a Super TV. Bowl party without the Super Bowl. <laughs> so so uh, Rich was nice enough to like lend me his Roku thingy and uh, I, I went and picked it or he brought it to the mountain when we skied together and Sadly, it didn't work. We watched the Super Bowl thing. It was a crappy Super Bowl from start to finish, but we watched it on a, on a screen like we're watching right now. Oh, man. And but the next day, as I was rolling home, I dropped it off. I actually left it in the gondola. Gondola, yeah. <laughs> left it in the gondola. <laughs> gondola has cable. Yeah. It's amazing. So the, let, you guys are obviously firmly entrenched in the Adirondack region. Can you can you talk to me about the, the ski culture there? Like what like how is it? like what makes it unique? How is it different than other places you've been to? Obviously Christian, you're New Hampshire, skied there a lot. Rich, it sounds like you've been all over the place, uh, Vermont, Colorado, Adirondacks. What, what's the ski culture like in, in the Adirondacks and how does it differentiate itself from other areas? You want to stab this one first? You, you go ahead, buddy. I mean, we, so as Christian mentioned, we both lived in the greater Lake Placid area for a period of time as well. Um, actually, didn't know each other yet, but most likely probably had a gondola session together. <laughs> like that's, that's an entirely reasonable thing to suppose. Um, so I think the thing about the Adirondacks is like the conditions aren't always going to be awesome. Right. And to your point at Gore, sometimes, yeah, you're going to deal with some latitudinal movement, right? You're not always going to have a sweet fall line, but my takeaway on it is there is a quality to the people that choose to make the Adirondacks their home recreation zone that just says like, okay, to the fact that sometimes you're, you're just jumping right into only having type two fun. Like it can be <laughs> so cold like and fun. so windy. How many types you know, are there? I'm not really enjoying this, but by the time I'm opera, Everybody, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, that's what I love that we just tied it back. You don't realize that you fun. had fun until the day is over. Yeah, um, and so, so being I, a Giants fan is like a type two giant, a type two fan. I think you're there. Born. You go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, there's something to that about the Adirondacks, and like uh, Chris and I both also uh, have done a lot of rock climbing and ice climbing in the Adirondacks, um, which is a very similar ethos that people have, where it's like, yeah. It's really fun to go rock climbing in a place like El Dorado Canyon in Boulder. Is that type one? You get out of your truck, and that is type one fun. It's super okay. great access. There's no there's no such thing as black flies in Colorado. The sun shines 300 days a year. Transport yourself to the Adirondacks. It rains probably 300 days a year, or precipitates something like 300 <laughs> days a year. The swarming of black flies is a real thing. But like 
everybody's choosing to be there because the place attachment to the Adirondacks mm -hmm. just sucks people in. It's a magnet, you know, it really is. Wow. Um, so that's my take on it. It's like, that's a, that's a Christian, I don't know how you're topping that one. <laughs> well, I think again, good luck. <laughs> no, I, I would absolutely echo that because I completely agree. And, you know, having, you know, been and recreated all over the country and skied in the West skied in Europe, you know, there is something that like the East coast breeds really good skiers because you are on variable conditions. Oh, all, yeah. right? You're skiing on ice at least half the day. You're probably skiing on a, you know, at any resort, you know, I'm not disappointed when I'm uh, you know, when I'm in France skiing and it's a fucking shitty day. You know, because guess what? It's, turns out it's still happened. France and that's where I'm skiing. And it's, guess what? It's still better snow than like, than I've, I'm getting every day. Whereas, right. you know, some of my, my very good friends who, who grew up in Bend, Oregon, right. And he's spending his whole, we went to grad school together. He's living there. He, when I go out and ski with him, he's a little bit of uh he's a little fair weather skier now. And I'm like, man, I don't want to, it's, and that's a real thing. And I think that's, you know, I think the people rich couldn't have said it better because like the people have chosen also, one thing I will say about, like, I think why people maybe even do choose to live on the East Coast is the accessibility of everything. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can drive three hours and be in three different cities and on the East Coast, let alone how many resorts can we hit. Right. You know, three hours is just really going to your necessarily your, your, your neighborhood ski area out in Colorado. You know what I mean? Depending on traffic and access because of weather and everything else. So, you know, there are... Um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of great access to stuff. Um, and yeah, you got a rich set. It's, it's type two fun. It's there's definitely, you <laughs> know, it. you are, it does breed a good, you know, type of skier or climber or whatever. And yeah, you feel incredibly fortunate when you get to go and, and ski on big powder somewhere else, you know? Yeah, it's true. Definitely. That's true. I, I just, I mean, we were out, I was just out in, in park city and it, it dumped the night I flew out and you know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a ton open, but, and, and there were some patches. It's the first time I've actually skied out West where there, where there's some patches of crust, but like, I thought nothing of it because I was at Mount Snow the week before. And I'm like, oh, this is way better than the bulletproof, you know, that I was skiing <laughs> out there, you know? So I, I agree with you. Yeah. There's a, and, and there, there is that, uh, that grittiness. Right. And I feel like the Adirondacks might even be more gritty. I mean, the yeah, Adirondacks, no. say it for what it is, like Gore and Whiteface don't have the same uh, resort infrastructure as most of their counterparts do in Southern Vermont. It, right, it's right. Much, and uh, like, you know, that was a, a extremely apparent last year with all things, restrictions on log, lodge use and whatnot. You know, I mean, you're just yeah. like parking lot to the chairlift. Right. And that's, and, and that's, that's honestly hey, why the Adirondack, you're like, eh, that works for me, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like, if you skied at Whiteface anytime before when was there, they, they lost their mid station in like December of 20, yep. December of 2020. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, either way, they lost their mid station to a fire. Oh, you skied at Whiteface before the loss of that mid station. Quintessential Adirondack ski culture was the porch of that mid station because people would backpack up crock pots and <laughs> that's awesome. Like you take your run down to mid station, plug your crock pot in rip laps all day. And then you're just like having a constant, Oh, Hey, I know that person. Hey, come grab a bowl of chili. I got this in my crock uh, pot. Awesome. And you, you're just like super grassroots community built around being psyched in the mountains. And like, again, yeah, I have lived and recreated all over the world and you don't get that, that level of psych from sometimes marginal conditions anywhere else. Dude, that's, that's, that's really the stuff I love. Like the, like, like they're plugging their crock pots in at the mid station, like you're backpacking <laughs> it up and he's, is even another level of it, but that's <laughs> freaking awesome. Yep. Yep. Wow. I mean, talk about type two fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I shared crock pots that. That is type one fun. fun for me. But, all right. So when it comes to type two fun or, or operate ski, um, how do you choose the perfect beer? You're up on that one first, Christian. <laughs> you know, I'm a beer, I'm a beer nerd. I'm not a beer snob. So to be honest with you, that that's like a very, um, how do I choose the perfect beer? You know, I would say if I, if I had any option on the planet, you know, I don't really know to tell you the truth because I'm someone that is uh, definitely is going to want a beer and I don't care necessarily 
I'm not going to be offended if it's uh, maybe a big macro beer or whatever, because honestly, like I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm a beer snob. I'm, I'm a beer nerd, not a beer snob. I, lo- so I like that. That's like, a, there, there's a clear distinction between the two, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to turn my nose at, you know, cans of uh, the, the awesome camo cans of Bush that I would oh, yeah. love for to the slug into, you know, the parking lot at, at Whiteface after, you know, so there's nothing wrong with that. So, but yeah, I mean, I like, I think so. I don't, I, it's hard for me to answer that. I don't, I'm just going to go and plug Common Roots because we made a, a beer that is really perfect for, you know, while you're skiing or, you know, <laughs> yeah, prey skiing. I'm not going to plug it, but I'm kind of going to plug it. <laughs> there you go oh man well that's uh, to to that point i I ended up at the barking spider at gore at gore mountain you you guys know what i'm talking about downtown north creek oh downtown north creek i walked it put it this way me and my crew walked into the barking spider i think the record skipped and uh (laughs) i I, we ordered i think we ordered two jenny two jenny lights and and like uh three yinglings or something like there's you know, something along those lines. And I think the bar tab was 15 bucks. Wow. Yeah. And nice. I post, I posted a picture and uh, a, actually a previous guest of our, our show turned his nose up at the Jenny light. I was a little, uh, mm-hmm. I was a little, a little offended because I'm a fan of Jenny. Yeah. For good reason. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Do you have, so if you're not going to plug your beers, I'll plug them for you. Do you have a particular beer that you reach for from common roots that you like at Ski? Yeah, you know, I we drink like I would say as much as I do love hops, I probably drink by volume more lager than than anything else. One of our lagers right now looks is out, named after my opa or my my father's father, and it's like a dry hopped Keller beer, and you know that's only out once a year. So I'm kind of like you know I'm trying to drink all that as I can, but uh, until it's gone. But yeah, I would say if there was something that I would be plugging, and it was probably guaranteed for some sort of type two fun that I was about to have for the apre, whatever, but apre skiing, I would probably say it would be commoners lager to be honest with you. What about you, Rich? Yeah. I'm all like my uh, palette for quality yellow beer uh, lagers is, is hard to satiate right now. Um, this time of year, I'm not going to lie. So when I went skiing on Sunday, um, I, I had some Sierra celebration with me. Um, to wow. Christmas. All right. Like drink it when you can. Oh, yeah. uh, and with that beer this year being in twelve ounce cans, game changer for me. I absolutely adore that. I beer. like the, the Sierra Celebration. It's a good one. It's a great beer, and they yeah. haven't they haven't changed that recipe in two and a half decades, and they yeah. don't need to, in my opinion. Um, I am super happy that they decided to put that into twelve ounce cans now, packaging wise. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I enjoyed Opera this past Sunday. Uh, to that. So yeah, I'll, I'll throw that out there. Yeah, great. That's like a benchmark beer for a lot of people too. I like, I can remember the first time I had that, and you know, it's like it brings back memories and 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 experiences, and it's definitely one of my benchmark beers as well. Hallie and I have sh- not necessarily a celebration, but we've shared a few Sierras. We have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you're a big um, hazy. Yeah, I like the hazy one. Yeah, the hazy little thing is that yeah. what it's called. Yeah, mm-hmm. even I, like the hazy little thing in a sixteen ounce can. Yeah, kind of like, <laughs> hazy <what>? big thing. <laughs> Don't they have a hazy big thing now? Don't they have a double IPA version of that beer? I think. Do they really? What? I'm pretty sure they've gone I and they did like a, it. Yeah, I, I, I usually stick to the traditional pale ale. I it's just like, you know, mm-hmm. it's tough. You know, tough to tough to get past that. Right. Well, what you guys, what's your apres beer? Of choice. Uh, um, I love when we get asked questions. I operate. It, 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 okay, so it would depend. It would depend upon where I'm skiing. Mm-hmm. But I am with. I am with you on the on the yellow beer uh, train. I you know from Vermont. If I'm in Vermont, I'm drinking Green Straight Lager. Um, I do yep. love your. I do love your lagers as well. I drink plenty of those along with the gondola sessions when I was up there uh, hanging with Rich last winter. Mm-hmm. Um, out west, I was just drinking. Um, Squatters makes a hell of a lager. Uh, it's literally just says beer on the can, B I E R. It was just so cool. So I was like, yeah. I, I I dug that. So I, I'm definitely one of those. You know, if I, I'll, I'll maybe I'll have a, a hazy IPA, just mm. one or two, but I I much prefer you know more drinkability and and well, quite more consumption really. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think after after a day of snowboarding, I probably go for something a little light, refreshing. You know, it depends on the weather that day too. 
Yeah. You know, and then back, like if, if it's later in the evening, I'll probably reach for like a stout like this, but you know, right off the mountain. Um, if it's at lunch, if we're doing a little day drinking and we're doing another afternoon session, it's definitely a light, light lager type beer. Um, then maybe the hazy IPA after a day of riding. And then later that night, probably a, a stout. She's a very progressive drinker. Yeah. So I have to plot out your consumption like that. That's yeah. yeah, yeah. You know. She's very, she's very talented. <laughs> <laughs> I got a game plan guys. I got oh, a game man. plan. That's plan. One fun. Gotta have a plan. Type one fun. And, and how about we have a little <laughs> more type one fun right now? You guys ready for this? Nope. Oh, definitely not. That's not the button. <laughs> we have a little session on this show called <laughs> Hot Tub Talk. Hot Tub Talk. Because every good opera ski ends in a hot tub. Hallie, take it away. Oh, there's the appropriate sound effect. So, bubbles. if you could choose one drink to enjoy the rest of your life, what would it be? Answer as quickly as you can. Go. Hold on. Is it like a category, like beer, wine, spirits, or is it Whatever. like? It could be freaking water for all we care. Did you hear that? Water. <laughs> Guys from Jersey. I'm going to say whiskey. All right. Solid. Weird thing from a guy in the beer industry, but yeah. Well, right. You need to make whiskey. Yeah. Um, I would say lager beer. Yeah. You go. I don't even have to be more specific than that. Perfect. Fermented cold and slow. Nice. What is your favorite opera ski appetizer? Nachos, wings, or other? Wings. Other. I knew it. That's what I want. Wings. <laughs> Christian wants wings. Rich, what did you say? I want like sliced meats and cheeses. Mm, oh, right. All about like nice. salary, munchy, salty. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Do you guys serve wings at the brewery? No. We do not. We have a we serve what we call crispy chicken bites, trimmed up pieces of chicken thigh that are quick fried. And uh tell you what, you think you're a fan of wings? Try the crispy bites and you will be converted. All right. Very, yep. He's trying to, ch- we're going to be telemarking and eating chicken bites. Yeah, we're, I'm, we're never, I'm not going to converted. recognize myself. We are. <laughs> we're all in on the type two fun. All right. Ballpark. Ballpark number of shot skis you've taken in your lifetime. I can say that pretty confidently. Three. I know all three examples. So all th- uh, he knows all three examples. Okay. What about so you? We had one at my college house. So. I can't. That's an issue. So there's <laughs> 30, maybe. And I don't want to venturing to say it's probably higher than that. <laughs> probably higher than that. Yeah. Sure. Freshman year. That was a well, Rich, was next tough. time I come up and visit, I'm bringing a shot ski and we're going to do one together. I think I, did. <laughs> I, I want to do one with Rich. You know, yeah, so. I did one over the weekend for Christ's sake. <laughs> did you fly to Park City with the shot ski in your ski bag? Well, we have now a foldable one. Yeah. Both Hallie cool. and I have a foldable. <laughs> Shot skis. Wow, that's incredible. You'll travel. Yeah. Um, if you don't do anything beforehand, is it still called opera ski? No, hard no. Hard Says no. Says the telemarker, of yep. course. I'm not surprised. Not guy, does 3, 000, guy does lunges at 3,000 feet. He likes type four fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would be hard. It wouldn't be, but you know, uh, have I joined a, uh, I got, to a, a party in the parking lot at a ski mountain late and I didn't actually get to make it on the slope because yeah, that's happened before. Listen, was, all you need is like one run at West Mountain. One West Mountain and you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you have to put the boots on when you're hanging out in the parking lot in order for it to qualify? Like I guess that's the line. The boot dancing going you have to have your your snow pants on at least. Exactly. Maybe not boots anymore, but at least just the snow pants. Mm-hmm. All right, so at least that that quantifies. Yeah, it. there we go. There's always a loophole. I feel like. All right, overrated or underrated, ski themed movies. Oh, they're underrated. Nice. Okay. Right. Like an, I'm thinking like an old '90s ski themed movie, right? Heck yeah. yeah. Like, do, you, yeah. do you have a favorite Christian? Like '80s '90s. Yep. Um, I'm just like having a brain fart on the title, but I do, and it's actually only recently that we saw it again. My wife had never seen it, and. Um, that out cold? I'm just guessing. Pardon? Ski school, what? ski patrol, better off dead, out cold, Aspen Extreme, hot dog. No, 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 no. It's uh Jesus Christ. Hot tub time machine. I don't think it's called hot hot tub time machine. Yeah, those are kind of some of those are newer ones too, so I would say. But yeah. Like alcohol was like actually was like 20 years ago now, right? I, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That was well, before are, yeah. All right, well, think was between two firms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was it was yeah. Zach Galifianakis before he was Zach Galifianakis. Mm-hmm. True. Exactly. Rich, what about you? Overrated or underrated? 
Um, I'll go with underrated just because I think that uh, the TGRs and the matchsticks of the world have just unseated the nostalgia of those movies of the 90s and early 2000s that did something like, you know, they made ski culture laughable. And now ski culture takes itself really, really seriously sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, that's something that like I'm all I'm all for seeing a new Warren Miller flick or a matchstick flick and getting my stoke high. But there's also something really fun to like make fun of how ridiculous it all is that we the four of us are sitting here right now because we've all shaped our lives around sliding. Exactly. 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 hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, that. man, that's so true. That's a good that's a good point. Excellent point. Well, you did it. Yeah, there you go. Hot tub talk. Hot tub. Hot the flying tub. colors. Good job, guys. Good job. <laughs> I want to see this folding uh, shot ski. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> For the magic of TV. <laughs> I really dig this. Uh, the mounts. Yeah. I, uh, my wife is going to love this. She's a, she's a, well, she's an almond joy person, but. Okay. Perfect. Look at that. Wow. But now show them how it's got the ski. It's got the boot buckle in the middle. No way. Way. Look at that. So this is made by like Shotsky brand. Yeah, yeah, it actually is. It's Shotsky with a Z in the middle. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Nice and compact. Can go anywhere. Yep. You can bump and that actually, number up. Babe. It actually comes in a quiver. I know how to use that word. That is kind of amazing. That is pretty amazing. <laughs> Did it come with shots or with it came, shot out, it came with the little boot shots too? Yep. Yep. Boot shot. There yeah. you go. That's the whole. And do they buckle into the ski? They do. They do. They do. Mm-hmm. So Got there's that shot of everything. Sure <laughs> Got to make sure your din is set properly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to bust out of your shots. Face full of whiskey. It's not a good <laughs> face shots of whiskey. <laughs> not a good Although picture. Christian wants to drink that for the rest of his life. So he might like that. There we go. Oh man. Well, oh, yeah, guys, this has been, this has been amazing. I love it. I love your story. I love, I love the way you've bounced back from the fire. Uh, I, I love your beers. Mm-hmm. I, I've been a fan of your beers for a long, long time. I was telling Hallie, Rich, I can't remember the first time you and I connected, but we've been working together for a long time and, I'm happy we have been, and I hope to continue to do so. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you guys. I really, really enjoyed this. And I love hearing about the ski culture, too. Oh, well, really, thanks for having us on. And, and honestly, it's good to, to kind of finally get to meet you guys virtually here. So, yeah, appreciate it. Absolutely. And if there's any trips up uh, to our neck of the woods for skiing, opera, all the things this winter, you know how to get at us. And we'd love yep. to see you guys up here at the tap room and, and for uh, – some skiing and some opera at Gore or Whiteface or wherever. You know it. All Sounds right. great. Thanks, Absolutely. guys. Cheers. Wow, what an episode. That was that was interesting. You know, like the Adirondacks are an area of the country that, I, I mean, listen, maybe you associate it with skiing out here in the east, but, but most people probably don't think of the Adirondacks. And those two guys did a hell of a job defining the culture there and obviously their the the brewery commerce brewing is in in that region mm-hmm. and i feel like the the camaraderie that really got them through that fire and the grittiness that they've shown coming out of the fire has kind of def- is, is is almost synonymous with that region itself i think it might actually even fall under the shadow of like the vermonts and the new hampshires you know like that that new england uh, vibe, but the Adirondacks is definitely as gritty, if not more so, and it's it's got some vert. Oh, no doubt. So you yeah. know that they, they they have a great time up there, and that's that's what I mean. Like they're they didn't intentionally mean to throw shade at West, but you know you you know what the, you get where they're coming. I get from. where they're coming from. Yeah, yeah, I get where they're coming from. But listen, like you can always operate ski at Common Roots after you ski West, mm-hmm. like four runs apparently. Yeah, yeah, and listen, and their beers, the beers at Common Roots Brewing. I, I've been drinking them for a long time. They're very, very good. They're as as good as I've had across the country. And, you know, I, I like what they're doing. Uh, and uh, I, I encourage anybody in that region to go up there and check them out. Absolutely. And check us out, too. We're at Beyond the Apre on yeah. Instagram. And uh, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, drop a review. Let us know who you'd like to hear or see on the show. Yep. We'd love it. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>